Chemistry. Hello and welcome back to Brought to You by Chemistry with me, Dr. Alex Lathbridge. This series, we're taking a deep dive into the science of air quality. And today, we're going indoors. Why is indoor air quality so important? Should we be worried about household appliances? And how can we improve the quality of air inside our homes, offices, and public buildings? To find out this and more, time to bring in our experts. Hi, I'm Kath Noakes. I'm a professor of environmental engineering for buildings at the University of Leeds. Ooh, very nice. Very quick, very snippy. Uh, yeah, hello. I'm Nick Carslaw. I'm a professor of indoor air chemistry at the University of York. Wonderful. Okay, so, okay, great. So, Kath and Nick, great, easy breezy, single syllables. I love them. Um, so, I am, of course, going to start with what might be a silly question for both of you, but like, how is indoor air different from outside air? That's a, a really hard question. Uh, question to generalize I think because it it really does depend on the environment Um, so I think indoors there are numerous sources of pollution Um, so there are lots of activities we do indoors that can produce uh, pollutants so things like cooking and cleaning a lot of the pollutants that we generate indoors are the same as the ones that we find outdoors like nitrogen oxides if you cook with gas Volatile organic compounds come from lots of things we use indoors, like cleaning products um, and also particulate matter. So if you if you burn your bacon when you're making a bacon butter, you make particulate matter. So um, we also have particulate matter emitted by vehicles outdoors. So there are many similarities between pollutants indoors and outdoors. Um, but I guess the, the big difference is that we spend 90 percent of our time indoors and probably all of the attention around air quality is 90% on outdoors. So at the moment, there's a lot of people just think we have the balance wrong. We need to focus more on the micro environments where we spend most of our time, which is in buildings, whether that's at home or offices or commuting between them in a car, for instance. I think I would add to that a bit as well. I mean, I totally agree with Nick that We need to focus more on indoors, but indoors is so variable between different places as well. So if you went outdoors on your street, the outdoor air pollution that you're exposed to is pretty similar to what your next door neighbour's exposed to. But indoors could be totally different because what they do in their house versus what you do in your house is completely different. And even within your house, what you experience in your kitchen versus what you experience in your bedroom might be totally different. So really understanding those different sources in different places and how we get exposed to them in different places is quite a challenge. You're exposed to volatile organic compounds, nitrogen oxides, particulates, but like I would, I don't know, maybe this is someone who doesn't know a lot about air quality, but I would, I would say that, you know, the particulates you're exposed to if you burn bacon, wouldn't they be different from the particulates you're exposed to from cars, right? Yeah, that's that's a really good observation. And this is something that we need a lot more research on. Um, so at the moment, if you look at the advice from COMI, which is the government's committee on the medical effects of air pollution, um, they think about these issues a lot. So they, they look really carefully at all the evidence around air pollution and um, illness and, you know, the it's really hard to try and find the specific links that say this pollutant causes this health effect. 
And with particulate matter at the moment, we know that different sources produce different types of particles, and that's probably size and composition. So we did some work a few years ago looking at the London Underground, and the particles on the London Underground are very different composition to the ones that you get from cars. And you're right that the particles that you get from cooking your bacon are, are very different, different to the ones we get from cars as well. But the problem is it's really hard to do the studies where you just have a particular type of particle and look at the health effects of those particles. So there's a bit of work being done on this now in Manchester, actually, by Gordon McFiggins and his group, trying to look at the toxicity associated with particles from different sources. But at the moment, we really don't understand the differential effects. And that's an important question, I think, that we need to understand. Okay, so that's really fascinating, because what I've wondered is how different do molecules act compared out uh, outdoors compared to indoors like if a if you have you know volatile organic compounds outside as soon as they get inside do they you know act differently do they take their little molecular shoes off and something like how does that work yeah they do this there's, there's a few things that change actually so one of the things that changes is that we have less sunlight indoors which it's, it's obvious when you think about it, but so outdoors, a lot of the chemistry in the atmosphere is driven by photolysis or sunlight. But indoors, we have far less light. So we have some light that comes through windows. We have some light from internal lighting, but it's not as strong as sunlight outdoors. So we do still get photolysis reactions, which is where sunlight breaks bonds, um, but they're much slower. So that anything that's connected with light any reactions connected with light are much slower indoors and the other thing that's really different about indoors is that we have um, much more surface area so basically things like ozone is quite sticky and when it comes in through windows it sticks to things like carpets and furniture um, which means that ozone concentrations are actually much lower indoors and outdoors so there are definitely quite big differences in the chemistry between indoors and outdoors Okay. And so like, I guess outdoors, you've got things like cars, vehicles, you know, people moving, people walking, all that. But indoors, things are a bit more stationary. You know, my my kitchen, like my oven isn't getting up and walking around. So does that change things, the difference between having stationary things in your indoor environment versus mobile things in the outdoor environments? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it does. You're probably getting more into the realms of physics, which is probably more cathsing, but it's, it's, I guess you get um, piston effects that pull pollution along roads. I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, you do. You do to some extent, but it, it kind of depends. And, and even though things move outdoors, like cars, um, you, they often move in very well-defined ways. So, you know, and particularly where you've got like a, a busy road and you've got a lot of, vehicles traveling along it you can almost treat that as a like a continuous source of pollution uh, rather than a sort of distinct moving source but there are differences and of course the weather well the weather affects both outdoors and indoors so we we get some of our pollution particularly in certain places in the uk like in london where that pollution does some of that gets brought in by certain weather conditions but then also weather affects indoors as well because we change our behaviors we shut windows and things when it's raining or when it's cold um, and we do things you know we open the windows when it's sunny um, so we you know there, there are a bunch of other factors in there which affect this i i never thought the british love for talking about the weather would take me here <laughs> 
would would take me to thinking about how it affects my health. But speaking on that, like, do we have any data or is there research being done on how indoor air quality impacts, you know, health versus outdoor air quality? Yes, but it's hard. I think so there's some things we've got really good data for. So things like carbon monoxide, we know about we know about radon, we know the, the, the health effects of smoking, which is often an indoor activity. Um, and then we've got some things around ventilation and ventilation is not quite the same as air quality, but it, it's very strongly related. But we know that poorly ventilated buildings, people perform less well, they sleep less well, they're less satisfied. And we know that it relates to things like transmission of infection. Um, you know, you, you, we know from data before the pandemic that schools which had lower ventilation rates in the USA had higher illness absences. Uh, but as as Nick sort of said earlier, for lots of other contaminants, it's really hard to separate out some of those health effects because we're exposed to lots of different types of pollutants all either all at the same time or sequentially during our day and knowing which ones are, um, are harmful and which ones you know maybe don't really matter that much is very very challenging to separate out and I think there are associations between you know certain things in indoor environments and for example asthma um, but it's much harder to work out those associations compared to outdoor air quality and a lot of that is to do with the data that we've got we've got far more data on outdoor air than we have on indoor air i think to add to that we we just um finished a big european network study um with about 200 scientists from around europe and one of the things we did in that was to try and compile all of the measurements of indoor air pollutants that have been made to date and we found about 800 different chemicals have been measured indoors from different studies at different times. If you were going to do the health studies properly, you'd need to take each of those 800 chemicals and expose human cells or, or some sort of assay, I guess, biological assay to that uh, you know, particular pollutant and look at the effects. So to do that would take an enormous amount of time and money. It's just a massive, massive undertaking. So I guess what the, the key thing is to try try and think about which which of those pollutants are going to occur often in our homes and out of those, which are the ones that we need to worry about. And I think that's what a number of studies are trying to do at the moment. We're trying to narrow down that list so we can then do focused health studies. So there are some chemicals like formaldehyde, for instance, that we already know is ubiquitous in homes. It comes from uh, wooden products. It's made through chemistry. So there are a few chemicals, I think, where we, we have a fairly good understanding that they might cause us harm. So on that, like, what would you say are some of the biggest contributors to poor indoor air quality? You know, is it things like formaldehyde? Well, again, it's hard to generalise, but formaldehyde does come up uh, quite often when we're uh, looking at modelling studies. The problem with formaldehyde is it's actually quite hard to measure. It's a really challenging molecule. So we've been looking at this at York um, and it's it's just because of its properties. It's small, it's polar. It's actually quite hard to find a technique where you can measure it accurately. And that's, that's still a focus, I would say. Um, so I think it, it's all down to trying to, you know, understand which of these chemicals we should focus on and then talking to, 
sensor manufacturers like I was yesterday, for instance, about the need for developing sensors for specific chemicals so we can get a better idea of how, you know, um, abundant these chemicals are in our homes. I think even though we, we, we don't know that much yet about the specific chemicals and how they how we get exposed to them and when and the, how to measure them. I think we do know quite a lot about the sources for indoor air. So, um, you know, obviously outdoor air is a source because it, it's not completely disconnected. It comes into your building. Um, I guess probably the biggest sources we've got in indoors are people um, or associated with people. So there are lots of things we do, you know, cooking, personal care products, cleaning, smoking, candles, all sorts of those things, which we result in air pollution and obviously some of those things we're not going to stop doing we're not going to not cook or you know and we're not going to stop <laughs> having showering and things but they you know those actions are associated with air pollution uh, there are also sources in buildings so for example certain paints and building materials can release um, volatile organic compounds um, if you've got a building that's prone to damp, then you might get mould and that releases spores in the air. And then I think the other one we've not talked about yet, but uh, wood burners and stoves and things, which are a, a huge culprit. And of course, uh, you know, if you've got a stove in your, your living room, it releases some things into your home. Um, but an awful lot of that goes up the chimney out and then goes into your next door neighbor's home. Um, so there's a, you know, it, it, I think that's a, a huge source and probably quite hazardous pollutants. Um, although, as Nick said, we, we still need to know a lot more about the specific chemicals and how they affect us. So here's a question for both of you then. What would the perfect experiment look like to push forward your work you know would we have to go through all of these 800 different molecules one by one to get an answer on you know how much we see them and what their effects are on health just before christmas we got funding to build an indoor air testing facility on campus and um what we're going to do in that we're going to have like a semi-detached house with an integrated laboratory in between um, so the two sides of the house would be very different in terms of ventilation. So one side's going to be passive house standard. One side's going to be more typical uh, British build, uh, British building regulations at the moment, uh, standard build. Um, the passive house side is going to be very thermally efficient, very well regulated with mechanical heat recovery. So basically, we're kind of looking at this is what the future could be for energy efficiency when we worry about climate change versus what we have now and then in in the middle of the houses we have an integrated laboratory where we'll have lots of um very high research grade instrumentation so we'll be monitoring the air quality in both sides of the house so we'll be looking at what happens after the build as the emissions from the building materials are off-gassed then we'll have a period where we decorate the house and furnish it and then we'll look again at the emissions from that and then we'll start doing activities where we're cooking and cleaning. So we'll be able to kind of separate the different components of a house, the building materials, the furnishings, the activities by people, and look at that for two different types of uh, ventilation. So I think that will help us answer a lot of the questions about what the sources of pollutants are, what the most important sources are, what the key chemicals are from all of these activities. So I think that's something we're quite excited about. 
Um, Kath, what about you? What would the perfect experiment be? Again, it's, it's a really hard question because I mean, almost the perfect experiment is so big that you couldn't possibly ever do it. But I think I would I would want to complement what, what Nick's doing and actually collect lots of data from lots and lots of different buildings um, to understand that variability because we really lack that. We, you know, we, we don't understand how... Uh, air quality varies across lots of different environments. There's a number of studies of looking at homes and some of those measure with static sensors in homes. Some of them have personal sensors that people carry. Um, but there's lots and lots of places that we don't know much about. We, we don't know much about people's workplaces. Um, we don't know much about schools. We don't know much about hospitals. We don't know much about the social places we go. Um, so I would love to see data collection um, Probably starting with baseline parameters like ventilation, temperature, humidity, but then expanding that to add in particulates and then over time adding in chemicals and things, but also trying to understand what people do in those environments. Okay, with that in mind, what can our listeners do to improve our indoor air quality? Like, is it a case of getting rid of, you know, if you have a gas stove, trying to get rid of that or, or you know, if you're some for some reason you have a fireplace or a wood burner getting rid of that like what can one do to have better indoor air quality without making uh silly changes you know getting ready a shower or something i mean we're probably going to say the same thing so i think there are some simple things that everyone can do and that's around ventilation so for instance when you cook um i think there's some statistic like 75 percent of people don't use their cooker hoods when they when they are cooking so a very simple intervention would be when you cook to put on your cooker hood, um, make sure you're extracting away the, the fumes. If you haven't got a cooker hood, you can open the window while you're cooking and for up to 10 minutes afterwards, and that will get rid of the pollutants you generate. You can do things like using the um, back rings on your cooker hob instead of the front rings, because we know that the cooker hoods are more effective at the back. Um, you can switch from frying um, and meat to boiling vegetables for instance so we know that frying emits more particles than boiling or steaming and we know that cooking meat emits more particles than cooking vegetables um, when you're cleaning you can ventilate again uh, always follow the manufacturer's instructions there are a lot of people who use too much cleaning product and probably clean too often um, so I'm, I'm really delighted that my research tells me that I shouldn't clean too often it's one of the best results ever um, so I, I think a key thing is moderation and ventilation. So don't use any products indoors in, you know, don't don't have 20 scented candles burning. Um, one every now and again is fine. And if you do have something that's generating pollutants indoors, then make sure you ventilate. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think there's there's lots and lots of little things that people can do, you know, even simple things like if you use a spray deodorant, use a roll on deodorant. You're just putting less stuff into the air for you to breathe in. Um, it's not changing your personal hygiene particularly um, and ventilation again is quite important it, it's lots of people think oh I must seal everything up must make my house really energy efficient but we we need ventilation we need it for our health we need it for our well-being and so actually thinking about well how does air get into my house and how how can I make sure that I ventilate particularly when I'm you know doing things that might generate contaminants and things and then of course you mentioned about gas stoves and things like that switching out your gas stove 
and replacing a boiler with say for a heat pump both that both of those really help from a climate and an air quality perspective but they are a much higher cost thing so for many people there you know if it, it, they're on people's agenda and, and they are a good thing to do, but they are a higher cost approach. You've given me a lot to think about there, but I particularly take umbrage with, sorry, I'm not allowed to cook meat. I have to boil vegetables. Do you know how <laughs> depressing that is? What? what, what no, why? Well, well, I, I can why? say this is a, a smug vegetarian, you see, so it's fine. But I, I don't think, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you if you look at a lot of, if you unwrap that, we're saying that frying less, um, eating less meat, all, all these things work in the right direction for lots of things. So it's probably better for our health. It's definitely better for the climate to eat less meat. And it's certainly better for indoor air quality. So I, I'm not suggesting that people stop eating meat. It's more, you know, could you could you maybe put that meat in the oven instead of frying it on the hob? You'd make a difference to what you generate. Um or could you eat meat less often? Or if you do eat meat, then just make sure you ventilate. It's not It's not saying you can't eat meat. It's just thinking about doing it and then being active about removing the pollutants that you generate. Yeah, and avoid burning your toast as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, toast is lovely. We all love toast, but burnt toast is just bad. Did the pandemic, I mean, has the pandemic really changed how people think about indoor air quality? Like, you know, are people... Are things going to get better from now on because we've had something that scared us? I would love to think so. I think, I mean, the pandemic showed us a lot of things. It, it particularly focused on ventilation because that was the thing which we knew was related to infection. So it's not quite the same as the air quality, but again, related. It showed us we know very little about it. Um, most buildings, we don't know how they're ventilated or how well they're ventilated. Uh, but we do know that we did figure out that lots and lots of buildings have ventilation rates that don't meet the standards they should do. Um, and lots of people lack both the knowledge and I think the agency to improve air quality. And that's particularly the case in workplaces and public spaces where you're at the mercy of whoever owns that space um, and operates that space and you can't change it yourself. Um, but I think, you know, it, it certainly raised awareness worldwide Um it, it pushed it up with the public. It pushed it up with policymakers. There were some improvements. So things like the building regulations did actually change um, in 2021 um, for non-domestic buildings in the UK. And we've seen in the US there are new standards coming through around ventilation for infection control in buildings. But I do think a lot of it is very short-lived because some of that success is of then suddenly we then got a cost of living crisis. And people just actually close windows and even worse, close the windows, turn the heating down in buildings. And then that both of those massively worsen the indoor air quality. Uh, well, I just agree with what Kath's saying. I mean, I've, I've been quite surprised after the pandemic, I guess. Um, we're, we're part of a project called Tapas, which is looking at air quality around schools. And again, I've, I've just been quite surprised at the state of some school buildings and it was really apparent during the pandemic that things like windows having been painted over over the years so you know schools and 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 other buildings as well but I think particularly schools are in quite a tricky situation they're trying to provide good ventilation for the kids but they're they quite often have their hands tied by the age of the buildings and the fact that they're not really fit for purpose anymore so I think all this stuff's really important and and given that we can't regulate all buildings or we can't we can't, you know, change the way we look at this for all buildings. Maybe schools would be a sensible place to start, in my opinion. 
All right. So let's try and be optimistic here. We, we're sort of trying to move towards perhaps a, a greener future, you know, and having buildings that are more energy efficient. Like, do you think in that there's room for or room should be made for improving air quality? Yeah, 100%. It must be. So, I mean, if you have a building, let's say you, you design a building, it's really low energy, but it's got really poor indoor air and it's therefore it's really poor for the health of the occupants. Would you call that a sustainable building? I'm not sure I would. I think for something to be sustainable, it has to actually deliver both on, you know, the climate and energy goals, but also on the goals of the people. So having a healthy building has got to be part of that. Uh, and I think there are, you know, thinking about this in terms of future design, you need to think about the locations of buildings, the materials, the systems in buildings, the occupants, thinking about the indoor and the outdoor air quality together. Um, but there are opportunities, I think, you know, and there's a there's such a big push at the moment on net zero um, and actions around that and we need to look for where we've got the win-win so for example we already mentioned gas stoves and heat pumps actually that is a, that is a win-win if you get that right you've both reduced sources of air pollution and you've decarbonized and you, you you're reducing the climate impacts as well but we also need to look at where there's potential conflicts so one of the conflicts is um you know not so much insulating your building. Insulating your building is still a really good thing to do. But if you put, make it too airtight and don't put ventilation in, then you can make your indoor air, air quality worse. So just making sure that in the, the guidance and legislation that's there for net zero, that we put ventilation and air quality in that mix means that we can tackle both at the same time. And if people are already going to be improving buildings for net zero, actually it's it's really no no more effort to tackle the air quality at the same time yeah I, th I think the other thing to say there is that a lot of the problems with indoor air quality would be solved if our outdoor air quality was improved so a lot of the problems if you look at schools in london for instance where they're having to use air cleaners they can't open the windows because they're next to a busy road if that if that traffic wasn't there emitting pollutants they could open their windows so I think this needs a holistic approach as well. You need to think about the, the whole system. If we clean up our outdoor air, we can open windows and then a lot of the problems will go. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Okay, okay. Um, I mean, I've, I've had a question put through from producer here in about air fries, but we're going to go straight over that because I don't believe in air fries. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to fry, just fry with your chest, like actually commit. Um, so what we like to do um, with Brought to You by Chemistry is we like to you know end with something that a listener can take away from this. So Nick, Kath, uh, for both of you, very briefly, what would you want a listener to take away from this episode when we've spoken about indoor air quality what would you want them to take away i'm going to start with you nick i think like we've already said just think about the sources of pollution in your home try and moderate the use of things that aren't necessary like air fresheners scented candles you know use them in moderation if you have to use them or when you cook or clean then ventilate so it's moderation ventilation and, and I would agree with that. And, and particularly think about how your home is ventilated and what you can do to make that work best for you. You know, it doesn't mean you have to have all of your windows open all of the time, opening them periodically, particularly when there's, you know, potentially higher emissions is a really good place to start. Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Brought to You by Chemistry with me, Dr. Alex Lathbridge. Join us next time where we're going to be taking a look at what government policy can and can't do for our air quality. Yeah, we like to keep it fun. See you next time. Thank you.